I think just becoming a mentor to other people who are interested in UX is a really great way of developing your own skills. You know, sometimes when you learn something, people often say that the best way to consolidate or solidify your knowledge is to teach other people and see how much you know. Hello, you've reached Hotline Design Podcast. How may we help you? And welcome back to Hotline Design Podcast. This week we're going back, back to the beginning. We're digging into the recesses of our minds to bring you our OG origin stories. We found our passions, we overcame our obstacles, and we're channeling that into our design careers. Amazing. So ladies, how have your weeks been? So last week, we have actually launched our first episode, uh, which kind of marked our week. Um, People have been really supportive and they've given us both positive and constructive feedback, which we're really grateful for. And we welcome at every stage. Um, So thank you everyone who listened and thank you for coming back to episode two. We love our friends of the pod and thank you so much for so many OG ride or die listeners. We love you so much and are just completely humbled by the fact that you're listening to our podcast. Absolutely. Um, Outside of that, my week has been quite relaxing. I didn't have like a goal the same way I did in the previous two weeks um, where I kind of focused on Figma and Notion and upskilling and both of those and organizing those really well. This week I enjoyed my time with my puppy and we went on our first walks and it's been really great. Um, I've also started um, reading Atomic Habits, which everyone loves. Um, It's got like 20,000 reviews on Amazon, I think, which is absolutely insane for how new it is. And it's really, really good. Um, Top tip from that, your willpower is not as good as you think. Um, make sure you design your environment for the habits you want. Me stashing chocolate everywhere around my house <laughs> and wondering why I go through so much chocolate. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that has been really good. And I also, um, you know, Masterclass? Mm-hmm. So I got a um, membership from my friends uh, for my birthday and I have been watching our hero, Ottolenghi, um, and for, I know, and for Valentine's, I think I'm going to make uh, my partner a Middle Eastern meze spread, and I can't wait. Um, all learned on that masterclass, so I'm really excited. Hide this pod from your partner. Suspiciously be like, you can only listen 10 minutes in. <laughs> or you can listen <laughs> Nothing to... Nothing to hear here. <laughs> All episodes, but this one. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, how about you guys? How's your week been? Yeah, mine's been really good. Thanks for sharing, Lavinia. I think Ottolenghi is amazing. I've not made any of his recipes before, but ages ago, my friend gave me a little bottle of, I think it's Ras El Hanout. It's this special spice blend, and it just works so well on everything. Sprinkle a little bit on eggs, sprinkle a little bit on pretty much anything you want it's like magic in a in a bottle so major chef's kiss <laughs> yeah like for real yeah, definitely um but yeah that sounds amazing I think it's been really positive because we launched our first episode this week as Lavinia mentioned and we've been getting quite a lot of good feedback on Instagram um and I think just from messages from friends in general so thank you all for listening and We definitely would like to hear any thoughts you have or if you want to submit any questions, we'd really appreciate that as well. Um, On a personal, well, I guess, first of all, on a professional note, I've just been continuing in my UX team of one. I think the project's getting pretty interesting. Um, And yeah, I guess on a personal note after work, I've had a newfound obsession and it honestly gives me so much energy when I talk about it. People are going to think I'm super weird, but I'm massively into (laughs) scam videos, or actually not videos of people getting scammed, but um, videos of scam baiters. There's this whole industry on YouTube right now of people who are just trying to reverse scam these scammers. So they pretend to be like quite old and frail with a voice modifier so that when 
they're speaking to the scammer the scammer thinks that you know they're really easy to sort of cheat and tries to swindle money off them but then these scam baiters manage to stay on the line for like four or five hours with the scammers so effectively they're just wasting the time so that they have less of a chance to scam other people so that's pretty much what i've been watching it makes it very entertaining watching to be honest i love it joanna the scammer um but yeah sorry uh on, on that weird note how's your week been lauren yeah no thank you so much for asking so as you mentioned lavinia and Yusin, it's been so so amazing to get feedback from our friends turn podcast listeners every single time i get a dm or a message about the podcast i turn into taylor swift winning an award and just i'm so grateful so overwhelmed that people are listening so thank you so much again to our listeners and then work-wise i've really just been rediscovering my love of user research being on a project that is solely user research based making interview guides has been fantastic. And I've also been working on my portfolio and running a couple portfolio surgery sessions and have currently been in color scheme hell. I keep trying to find colors that represent me as a person. I keep trying to understand if there are weird kind of feminist, anti-feminist undertones of the color pink. I keep thinking about accessibility in colors and like white text over certain colors. And if there are color schemes that will be really outdated. So I've just been in a prison of my own making in my mind with the color schemes, but hopefully we'll kind of be clawing my way out as I continue to work on that. That sounds like amazing progress though. And you are also helping others like make their portfolios better, which is amazing. Yeah. And honestly, like just from being trapped in my mind prison, this will lend itself to amazing content for our portfolio episode, which will be coming at some point because there's way too much material that we can speak to about the arduous struggle and rewarding heights of making your portfolio. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say, um, absolutely. I attended those portfolio surgery sessions that you've been putting on, and I think it's such a great thing to bring together our little design community and our little design practice in the company and I really appreciate how everyone's sharing the top tips for just making you know a portfolio that reads really well and that pulls together so cohesively so thank you for organizing those sessions Lauren um, and really looking forward to chatting about our portfolios on the pod stay tuned for like a three-hour episode yeah <laughs> We will be crying live on the pod, so maybe we'll do a Twitch stream of us just crying. And as we know, the topic for this week is our origin stories. So going way back in time to understand how we got started in UX. So I just wanted to know, what's your UX origin story, Lavinia? Yeah, so it sounds absolutely surreal, but I think it started over 10 years ago. Um, and it was a very nerdy origin story. Um, I was on Harry Potter role-playing forums and we used to have avatars and signatures uh, on the forums. And I wanted my avatar and signature to be the best. So I downloaded Photoshop and I kind of made collages of my character in different situations, um, making them as Harry Pottery as possible. Um, and that has been kind of like my start um, to some sort of design. Um, I don't know if you could have called it that back then. Um, and then it kind of like snowballed from there. So um, I don't know if you guys had MySpace. Um, I'm sorry, I'm too young. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that it had different kinds of um, like audiences in different countries. I know it was big in... Um, us and i'm only asking because i know in romania it wasn't that big we had a version of it which was called high five um and i was trying to make that profile really cool as well so i learned a little bit of html and css to like make everything great i was making gifs for it as well in photoshop Ooh, i know she's on x game <laughs> mode um so that's where it started um and then I really wanted to go for like graphic design or something like that at uni. 
Um, but I kind of talked myself out of it and I went to study business IT. However, um, we had a module called mobile app development there. That was the start of kind of my love for interaction design, uh, because I had to do a mobile app and I did that in Marvel, which is very similar to Envision. Um, and I got really great marks for it. So I kind of thought I already had a kind of like a placement and I thought on my placement, I'll try it really, really hard to do some designy related stuff. Um, and yeah, I went into my placement, uh, and one of my roles was visual designer. Um, so I grew my skills there, but when I came back to university, I kind of started to understand a bit more about UX. So I got myself a little internship while I was back in my last year of university with a digital agency here as a UX designer. Um, I started freelancing. It was a mix of freelancing. I was doing websites and uh, branding. Um, and then for my last kind of project at university, I did another application that was um, encouraging students to get more into extracurriculars so that it increases their employability. And I did that with my friend who is probably listening to this podcast. Friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he was kind of like on the development side and I was on the design side and that that went uh, that went down really well. And then I went into the corporate world and because the, the job that we all met at was in consulting, um, I knew that I could make whatever kind of career I wanted out of it. So I joined as a graduate and I was very adamant um, in only having design slash UX related roles. Um, and I've been there for about three years, um, grew a lot in that role, did a lot of projects and then I left and now I'm in between jobs and I'm joining um, as, a, as a UX designer um, at, at an agency in March. Um, at a digital agency here. So I think that's the whole story. It's a very minimal story, but yeah. Amazing. Wingardium what? Lavinia Osa. <laughs> I have no words. I, I have no <laughs> words. <laughs> but I love it. What house were you, by the way? Oh, I'm very proud of this. Always and forever Ravenclaw. This makes sense. And I have... Uh, a hot take which I'd guess is not that much of a hot take but Hermione was supposed to be a Ravenclaw oh really yeah yeah retweet yeah. <laughs> I get that yeah. yeah you are the brains and the beauty of this oh podcast so clearly a Ravenclaw oh Lauren just so laying much. it on with the compliments don't know what to say to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I generally don't know how to react to that but other than thank you very much you become too <laughs> British you need to like learn to take a compliment no <laughs> <laughs> um I feel the same way I'm not used to compliments because I mean my parents are probably listening to this and they're gonna tell me off but when you're an Asian kid and you get raised there's no such thing as compliments, you know, you're kind of mentally prepared to just be knocked down quite a bit. Just kidding, dad and mum, I love you still. <laughs> yeah, friends of the pod. <laughs> Parents of the pod, shout yeah. out. Absolutely, absolutely. I hope they're all proud of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On that note, um, what about your stories and how did it all start for you? Well, I think I've had quite an unorthodox journey into UX design. I think... I've always regarded myself as a creative person and this is just me speaking for myself so um, yeah like maybe take that with a pinch of salt but I think I've always enjoyed getting stuck into creative projects um, particularly the visual side of things like I draw quite a lot and I'm not saying that that's the same as UX but for some reason I just never really thought about being able to pursue that as a viable career option and I did geography at university um, I came to the UK from Singapore about seven, eight years ago now. And when I graduated, everyone was just looking for a job. And I really wanted to stay on in the UK, not for the benefits, but because I had a lot of friends around. And, you know, I, I think I spend a lot of time just kind of building up a network of great friends and people. So I really wanted to stay on. And I was applying to lots of different internships. 
I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I thought probably going down a corporate route would be the safest choice. And everyone was talking about consulting. So I managed to get a summer internship at the company I currently work. And I had a really, really great time. Um, my team were very nice, but we were working on a consulting project. And the, the work was really interesting. And I thought I can do this. So I came back, I got a return offer. And then I realized that actually we had a UX practice in the company and I tried to find out more because I thought this was a really good blend of what I wanted to be doing. So something creative, but at the same time, I think working on very structured projects and maybe just thinking a bit about the process. So trying to kind of marry a bit of my creative interest with what was available at work. And there was an opportunity to help out on redesigning an internal tool with a couple of other UX designers from this practice. So I worked on that internal project and just tried to really get my name out as someone who was interested in UX design. And then separately, I just tried to upskill. So I was quite lucky because I took part in this UX mentorship program for young women interested in UX. And I was paired with this really great product designer from Monzo and she gave me lots of helpful advice around reading you know the human interface guidelines um, the material design guidelines and just generally trying to write like really good case studies um, and I think because of that as well at the same time I was um, trying to change teams within this organization I joined our um, internal innovation team where we do lots of design thinking workshops and you know there's a lot of emphasis on human-centered design so I think that's also one way in which I kind of built up my knowledge of how to design collaboratively with other people and kind of build up my knowledge of human-centered design and yeah I, I just I, I feel like from then on it was just quite easy to get into the more UX focus focused roles within my company I even put together an internal portfolio of what I could show to different people who were recruiting on projects. And I think that really helped to build my brand as a UX designer within my company. Where I currently am is that I've done a few short and sharp like UX design projects. I think a lot of it, mostly focusing on the visual design side of things because that's what I'm really interested in. And I think just the best way to build experience is really through working on client projects. And I think I've gained or I've massively improved especially my prototyping skills over the past year, I would say, and just trying to go back and learn some of the visual design basics that I didn't necessarily learn at university. Um, so I guess that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. I unfortunately didn't quite go through that whole high school Photoshop phase. I think it's, it's quite interesting now when I think of um, how I like to try and learn new software compared to how I was in the past. I was definitely a, a huge Luddite. I probably wouldn't have touched Photoshop with a 10 foot pole because I would be really worried of getting scammed or having like a Trojan horse <laughs> downloaded to my computer. But I think now, um, you know, there's so much out there to learn on YouTube and stuff. And I've just been trying to upskill myself in these various different tools in the evenings. So yeah, my kind of long story about how I got into UX design. What about you, Lauren? Like, what's your journey been? Yeah. That's amazing, Yusa. And you're quite lucky that you don't have like a wealth of really cringy memes you made in 2008 to go back to or like Photoshop files where you like put everything in grayscale and then you like have purple irises, which like seem to be all the rage. They're like a really close up photo of your eye and you change all the irises to like different rainbow colors. Um, but yeah, I got started in kind of a similar way to Lavinia um, in that I found Photoshop in 2008, but through a media arts class. Um, and yeah, made a myriad of cringy, cringy items. And then I really just took Photoshop with me throughout the years. I made a lot of like artisanal farm to table memes for people. I made, you know, artisanal birthday cards. I want, like I wanted a Regency portrait of my sister and I, so I Photoshopped one. It is very yikes. Um, and I, I think the pinnacle of kind of my Photoshop game came when I was doing my master's. And I had so many projects due. I had 
like so much on my plate, but I decided that instead of actually, you know, working hard on that project that night, I would spend my time making 24 individual Comic Sans Valentine's Day cards for every single person in my program. So suffice to say, like, I love a Photoshop artisanal meme moment. Um, and then I really came through kind of the research area through a lot of my education. Um, I studied gerontology, which is the study of kind of aging uh, and the demographic transition and older adults. And I ended up doing uh, two theses or theses, slightly gross, um, for that, including a research thesis uh, that was a narrative-based inquiry on older adults and their transitions into retirement. And that required like 15 semi-structured interviews. Um, and then I also did another one that was, yeah, kind of looking at a systematic review and narrative syn synthesis of web-based mobile physical activity interventions. Um, and really like during my master's, it, my degree was really just qualitative and quantitative research methods, the degree. Uh, I didn't know that going in, but I really kind of learned a lot while I was there. And then I got into consulting. And while I respected Excel, Excel did not respect me. Like the disrespect flooded over every time, every time I try to get anything to work in Excel, it's just like, oopsie, no bueno, we're not going to work. Sorry, try again. So I kind of tried to inch away uh, from Excel in every capacity that I could and started to kind of explore pockets in the consultancy. And I stumbled upon this UX chapter. And I loved, loved, loved the people in this chapter. And so I started, ever the Canadian camp counselor, I started volunteering to run their socials, um, which I didn't have like formal UX training at that point. But, you know, uh, along with friend of the pod, Steven, we came up with this activity that we do like UX cookies, where we had these rectangle cookies and you could make an app interface using marshmallows and sprinkles. It had 100% user satisfaction. Um, and just upskilling on the side, I found my everything, Jesse Showalter. Started watching all of his videos religiously. Like, it would not be a hotline design podcast if I do not talk about Jesse Showalter at least five times. And then the real key was getting that first role that would, one, give you the experience so then you could go and get more roles, but also the Mac. Because without a MacBook, you can't use Sketch. And a lot of the clients use Sketch. Uh, so I had one manager who really took a chance on me. He knew I was upskilling in my spare time, uh, really working hard to kind of gain the skills. So he finally and slightly reluctantly got me a MacBook. Um, and then, yeah, just started getting roles. Then I got aligned to the UX part of the business where I'd been running the socials, got to do some Nielsen Norman group training, which was super, super helpful. And I'd highly recommend just really getting immersed in every way in UX. Uh, we started the podcast. Uh, just even if you like kind of UX pages on Instagram or accounts, uh, Moosely was great. And that's something Lavinia just recently recommended to me where it takes your kind of new tab homepage and turns it into design inspiration. So your day is peppered with all the little nuggets of inspiration. Um, obviously, the uphill battle and internal struggle of working on the portfolio has really kind of been part of my UX journey. And ultimately, the reason I love being in UX and want to get into UX is because I love people. And if I'm too far from people and like too buried in the Excel, I'm not as motivated as if I'm interacting with the users, really hearing their feedback, getting my hands messy and kind of coming up with these creative solutions. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So wholesome. It's the friends we made along the way is the moral of the story. Oh, absolutely. And all the people that kind of like took a chance on us, even though we didn't have the background or the university degree or anything else, um, mm -hmm. yeah. which we're really grateful for. Definitely. Well, it's such a new field as well that I was like reading up that, you know, if you're a lawyer, you go to law school. If you're a doctor, you go to medical school. So there are so many kind of creative ways 
uh, to garner these kind of transferable skills and then to get into UX or UI, UR. Um, I actually was doing a bit of research and found a German word, which I know I'm going to butcher. Quergensteiger. Apologies to every German listener of the pod, by the way. Um, but that's a word for newcomers transferring from one field to another and bringing their expertise. So really understanding kind of the skills you have in your existing area and then how you can amp those up and sell those to then become a UX designer. Oh my God, I love that word. I will never be able to say it, but... Queerensteiger? I will just have a recording on my phone and whenever I want to reference it, I'll hit play. Yeah. I really like it. I swear it's not a slur. <laughs> also, I, I feel somehow that that is going to be quite a good word for Scrabble. Actually, maybe not, because it does require a lot of ease. <laughs> but, you know, you could have, like, merch. We'd just, like, print this giant word on, like, T-shirts and, like, walk around wearing them. On the triple word score one. Those, like, little squares where if you, like, get the word on it, you triple your points. Nice. It's been a while since I've played Scrabble. I think I need to get back into it dabble in scrabble <laughs> i was just gonna say i'm super out of the blue but you know when you were talking about excel it reminded me of this meme or this joke that i saw recently and it goes like ladies if he can't handle dates makes errors or crashes unexpectedly he's not the toxic man in your life he's microsoft excel <laughs> ain't that the truth i felt like was it kelly Rowland from uh destiny's child there's a music video and when you zoom in she's supposed to be like texting a guy like why haven't you called me back but she's texting in an excel spreadsheet and that is my life <laughs> just me nonsensically trying to communicate with excel and it's like new phone new life who dis like it has no time for me i'm sorry excel no queens episode for you just tag and drag yeah just just tag and drag Amazing. So, you know, we never leave you in a lurch here at Hotline Design Podcast. So we want to share some top tips on how you can become a UX designer, how you can really move into this space and hopefully succeed. Yeah, um, I realize that there's a lot of people who find the UX industry a little bit gatekeeped. Um, like it can be quite difficult to break into it sometimes, especially since... Mm -hmm. You need a portfolio um, and there are very few companies that will take a portfolio seriously, I guess, if it's more conceptual work. And obviously, if you don't have a portfolio, you can't really get a UX job. Um, so it, it is quite a difficult one to break into. But as Lauren says, we never leave you in a lurch. So we do we do have tips. Um, one of mine is to whatever job you're currently in, to try to... Find ways to apply UX principles and figure out if there's anyone in your company already maybe doing UX that can mentor you. So try to kind of leverage your current role if you do have a current role um, and see if there you can sprinkle a little bit of UX in there. Maybe do a little bit of user research. Maybe just be the person who is the voice of the user because often there are a lot of companies that don't have anyone um, to do that. So bring in that kind of human-centered way. Um, that is one of my top that you can start with. What about you guys? What do you think? Mm -hmm. So I've got immersing yourself in UX. So I think I mentioned it before, but just making sure that even your Insta feed, you're following a couple kind of good UX accounts. Uh, Musely is really great for that so that your search page becomes just a bunch of artistic and UX inspiration. I think uh, reading UX books where you can. Uh, I recently read Lean UX and that was really great. Yeah. Don't Make Me Think is probably a great one to start with. You can probably read it in like two hours. Um, and it's like a cornerstone first kind of UX book to get into as well. And to that, I would also just add one thing I'm reading at the moment. I'm a very slow reader, but... I'm going through the design of everyday things by Don Norman. And I guess that's one of the seminal works really in UX, given that I think it was Don Norman who kind mm -hmm. of um, created this term of user experience. And he really talks about really interesting things about how to design 
for the user to make sure that you kind of take into account their needs and just trying to structure things you know in a way that's most intuitive for the user so I really recommend that and and it's very well written so I really like it it's got good stories as well the Norman doors and how he documented mm -hmm. how terrible doors are and their user experience so yeah it's a it's a fun and in-depth read tag and drag doors because <laughs> if you think about it I guess like User experience is most synonymous with digital products, but I like how that book kind of just talks about every system that you interact with, right? Not just, not just digital products, but things like doors or, you know, even sinks. I think he was talking about how sometimes the sinks, they're not designed in a very good way. Like if you want to kind of drain all the water out, I think in his book, he talks about how one of the hotels he stayed in, in London, required that you actually press like a button inside the sink when it's full of water, which kind of defeats the purpose really of, you know, washing your hands. So yeah. The audacity. I hate that. I, I could go on about sinks. I've got a number of very tiny sinks here at my flat that have one tap for hot and one tap for cold. Ooh. And why, when I'm washing my face, I must choose between scalding or freezing. And then I've heard the advice of, well, just like put the stopper in and you can like have custom bespoke water at a temperature of your choosing. But then I'm like, that I'm scooping it out of this infected basin where I've just been spitting. So that's my tag and drag of the sink in my flat. <laughs> when I um when I came to the UK I had the exact same problem. I don't know if you know this, I'm really sorry if I'm just like giving you very known information, but it was apparently just the pipe system in the UK and how they just had like hot pipes and cold pipes and somehow that has never been modernized in a lot of <laughs> buildings. Like the older they are, the least likely there is that they modernized it i don't know if you know that but yeah no i didn't actually thank you for <laughs> thank you for the fascinating insight um <laughs> yeah i think i've heard it on a lot of my drunken rants about the sink but may not have remembered it the day after because i know that's my priority like when i've got a bone to pick it's like bone to pick with these sinks yeah i got exactly. you amazing and besides sinks our second kind of top tip here is learn the key UX principles to really understand kind of this user-centric approach, as well as I'd recommend the UX honeycomb. And in the honeycomb, we've got a couple kind of central tenants. So we've got, it has to be useful, your design has to be desirable, usable, valuable, findable, accessible, and credible. Credible, not incredible. <laughs> Very blah, all the blurs. Yeah, blurs. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Another one for me is laws of UX. I could like talk about them forever, but I will not spoil the joy of going through that website and the posters and the beauty of it and the simplicity of it. You will be very familiar with many of the principles you're going to come across um, but it's good to have them at the back of your mind every time you think about UX. I really, really like that. I think Laws of UX is a fantastic resource, especially for printing out posters that help you understand why certain design choices might be better than others. One that I find really useful, actually, I won't spoil it, and also because there are so many to go through, is the aesthetic usability effect. So users often perceive aesthetically pleasing design as design that's more usable. So they're also more likely to be forgiving of a system if it looks nice. That being said, you know, it shouldn't just look nice at the expense of not being accessible or just not being very practical or usable. But that is definitely an, an interesting one to keep in mind because if you have, you know, very consistent sort of text hierarchy or spacing, you know, it just might make your system perceived as more usable to people. And I think the second thing just to add on in that is 
becoming familiar with some of these laws of UX is really useful because I think what I struggled with a lot in the past before I kind of knew these resources was trying to justify why I would design something over um, justify why I would design something in one way over you know designing it another way and I think particularly now as I'm kind of the lead or the sole UX designer in my team it's a really helpful resource for me to fall back on because if I have to talk to senior stakeholders about justifying certain design choices, I can always quote these laws of UX or point them to official websites um, such as Nielsen Norman or Interaction Design Foundation. So just try to, yeah, just definitely a good resource to check out. Amazing. Then we've got, yeah, learning about the key UX design methods and process. So really understanding that kind of research design, testing and implementation uh, phases and to understand kind of what goes into each of those. On on that, um, you can look at kind of the cornerstone methodologies in design, which um, you can look at the um, design thinking framework by D-School. You can look at the double diamond. I think that was the British Design Council who who advocated that one. So there are a few like um, IDEO um, has their human-centered design principles. So there are some really good places to start when it comes to, to kind of methodologies and frameworks as well. Definitely, definitely. And then you can always kind of structure your learning with a credible UX course. There are tons and tons of them out there to choose from. So that just helps once you've done that kind of initial work, kind of really solidifying it, especially from kind of an academic perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was just going to say over quarantine, I think a lot of us have been trying to upskill ourselves in different areas. You don't always have to pay for a course upfront, actually, if you're still trying to test this out or dip your feet in the water. Um, I really like, you know, I think YouTube's actually quite a good place to find lots of stuff. And there are tons of courses on Udemy as well, um, you know, which often kind of go on sale during special events like Black Friday. So it's a really good way to try and find some really helpful courses. Um, one thing that I've been doing is a visual design and branding online course as well. Um, it's a sort of 10 week long program. And I actually bought the course ages ago, but only went back and, you know, only went back to go through it recently. And I've just uncovered so many helpful tips and tricks about the design process, which is stuff I didn't necessarily learn. And I really appreciate people who put out these resources um, because I think ultimately they really help you understand the design process and why you would make certain design decisions. Definitely. And I think learning the tools of the trade is so, so important. So we're talking Figma, Sketch, Envision, also, shout out to Yusin, who is the shortcut queen. She knows every hotkey, and I'm always so impressed to watch her work. She's just getting things done so quickly. So would definitely recommend to take a page out of Yusin's book and to learn them up front, unlike me, who struggles to remember them. Um, thank you very much, Lauren, for that. But I guess, yeah, I, I love hotkeys. Um, if you work with me or, you know, if... I think we've worked together at some point in the past. You'll know how much I love just, you know, using simple things like the option key or the alt key to like duplicate stuff rather than typing command C, command V, or like just doing command D. And it's just the most satisfying thing ever when you like press command D, 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 and then it just like creates this thing for you. <laughs> like, um, I, I get... You've got an army. <laughs> Yeah, I guess um, it's it's a very niche interest, but um, yeah, definitely learning the tools of the trade is a, a really good one, especially if you want to become better in prototyping and get more into the visual design and, sorry, not visual design, the UI design side of things. I would also add, um, in terms of basics, it would be Human Interface Guidelines by Apple. Um, if you are interested in iOS uh, design more specifically, um, and material design for Android, if you are still interested in material, uh, sorry, in mobile um, design, but more on the Android side, or you might just be interested in mobile. So both of them would be really good for you. 
And definitely, we're going to be compiling some of these resources together and putting them on our social media, as well as some nifty design tricks that you might be able to use in your designs. So definitely keep a lookout for that. Definitely. Then, of course, we've got the Build Your UX Portfolio episode to follow about those struggles, but also like the triumphs once you finally kind of get there and you can display your work in a way that you're really proud and you can choose your color scheme as well. And finally, we've got networking with established and aspiring designers. So it's of huge benefit to find someone who's been in the game a lot longer than you to be your mentor. But also, even if you're kind of starting out, you think you're kind of just at the junior designer level, there are always people that are coming in the gates after you. So you can always serve as a bit of a mentor to them as well. And you'll really surprise yourself with how much you know. I really like that tip, Lauren. I think, like we mentioned earlier, if not for all of the people who kind of took a chance on us, I don't think we'd necessarily be doing UX projects all the time or, you know, just developing our skills. So this is one thing I'm trying to do as well this year, maybe try and help out people who are interested in UX, kind of point them in the right direction for helpful resources or just reading up about UX more generally. And I think just becoming a mentor to other people who are interested in UX is a really great way of developing your own skills. Because I think, you know, sometimes when you learn something, people often say that the best way to consolidate or solidify your knowledge is to teach other people and see how much you know. And I really like doing that. So that's definitely one tip I'm going to be taking away from this episode for myself. Absolutely. What about some YouTube channels that you guys recommend? We all have our favorites. Um, do you have any that you would start with? I wonder if you guys can guess mine. <laughs> hmm. Let's start with a J. M, yeah, and with an R. Yes, it does. Jesse Showalter, really, really fantastic. UX designer and really fantastic and engaging YouTuber. And I would say just look at all of his stuff. There's other two uh, recommendations from me. It's Femke and Charlie, who actually also have their own uh, podcast, Design Life. Femke is more focused on product design. So if you are interested in that area, she has amazing resources. And then Charlie is more into marketing design um, and she has brilliant resources as well. Um, both of them, I think, have been really, really useful um, in kind of my journey, learning a lot from both of them. So I'd really recommend them. Um, it wouldn't be fair, though, to not recommend Pablo as well. Um, his channel is sketched together, so really, really useful as well. Yeah, love it. I personally really like this lady's channel. Her name is Trin Buns. Um, she's an American product designer, but also she, I think she did something like chemistry at university and kind of navigated her way into UX design. And her channel's just really interesting as well to see that journey or like that tra trajectory that she had through different companies and different roles. Um, she also gives some pretty good tips on the UX process and I think she has a couple of videos on you know like design meetings within her company and kind of what they go through which I find really insightful. Um, and then because I've been doing a lot more or trying to get my head around like Webflow, Ran, Ran Segal, he is, I think he's a web designer and developer, I want to say, based in Israel. Um, his, his videos are really interesting um, and he makes really good content as well on Instagram. So I follow him there and I often see all of these posts about, um, you know, just helpful UX design or probably, sorry, UI design tips and tricks. As you can see, there's a breadth of resources out there. Um, if you're into, if you learn through videos, you can kind of hop onto YouTube or buy a course. Um, if you learn through reading, I hope our recommendations have really helped. Uh, maybe now we can transition into our favorite part of the podcast, the hotline design hotline. Hey guys, I'm a longtime listener and a first time caller. Uh, I really like what you guys are doing and um, I love the show and I can't wait to hear more episodes. I'm calling because I work as a developer primarily. I've been working as a developer for around three years now, but I've always had an interest in the design side. So my question to you is, what are the biggest challenges you face 
and trying to get your designs realized by a development team. Thank you so much to our anonymous listener and friend of the pod. So I would have to say one of the biggest challenges I've had when working with the development team is probably that kind of leap over from what I've designed to then what is realized by the dev team. And I just seem to have a lot of issues sometimes with correct spacing and measurements from the original designs then being pixel perfect in the development work as well. So friend of the pod, Adam, has this amazing tool and it's probably the only time I'll say an Excel is amazing, but he's got this great Excel spreadsheet that just in detail kind of raises little tickets. Uh, And so you can probably do the same thing on Jira or any kind of project management tool you're using, goes through and has a picture of what what the various element looks like in the design and then how it looks in the dev instance. Uh, and then just has a little comment section where it talks about specifically what needs to be fixed or changed or tweaked so that it's in line with the designs that you've realized. I think another way to really help out with this is to compile this in your Excel spreadsheet and then have a meeting with the development team just to ensure you're totally aligned. Because sometimes the things you designed won't work Uh, practically. So it's really important to have those kind of open channels of communication. I love that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Damn, (laughs) I actually have to open Excel now. (laughs) The only time I'll ever say that. Um, I think my challenges have often been more around ways of working. Um, Often, um, if I used Zeppelin or more recently Figma, Many developers have found it quite um, easy to kind of take all the measurements, the colors and everything um, and realize it into their development. Um, Where I struggled has been in things like writing the user stories correctly. Um, I remember um, I was working with a developer once where He wanted every single detail, including colors and spacing and things like that, written into the user story, which is a practice that I don't think is correct at all, because obviously the user doesn't care about the spacing and everything. Um, But I just remember kind of hitting um, blocks when we were working together because I was documenting everything um, in sketch and sharing um, those with with him and it was really strange how he was kind of ignoring everything in sketch and if the user story wasn't written in the right way then he would develop it differently um, and I don't mean to kind of like tag and drag this person it was just kind of like the way of working um, that he learned um, but it's it's always been more of a kind of ways of working slash personality clash where mm-hmm. I had the biggest challenges. Um, it very rarely has been in tooling. Um, however, in terms of tips, things that have really worked recently, um, I have really tried to upskill myself in design system. And what has really helped was um, maintaining in Figma the same naming conventions that the developers use. So for example, for button sizes or color shades or um, maybe spacing, um, making sure that the components they use are named into the same way that you, like they have the same names. And that sometimes means having a, a conversation with the developers and asking what they, their naming conventions are. Um, yeah, so I think communication with developers is always really important and making sure that you're working as a team. Um, but that has really, really helped recently. And Figma in general, I think has been such a massive, uh, change in, in ways of working and has been so, so helpful. But when you don't have access to Figma, um, Zeppelin is really useful as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's all from me. Yeah, um, I think just to add on to what you've said, I feel like for me, communication has always been one of the most important things because I tend to, 
I feel like sometimes when you're working on maybe a major piece of design work, it just goes through so many different versions and different iterations. And I find using a collaborative tool like Figma or even Adobe XD, I think anything you can just share with some of the developers where you can annotate the designs that you have and sort of like update it really quickly without needing to constantly export these screens as PNGs and then kind of like attaching comments on the side or putting all of that documentation up front in Jira or whatever um, system you're using. I think just being able to use a collaborative tool that reflects those changes constantly is really good. I think one of the challenges I've had is just maybe in establishing a process because I think sometimes or now the way my team sort of works is our team gets assigned stories and then the developers sort of tell me I have to work on the design and then I have to go and get design sign off and then kind of hand that back to the developers and walk them through why I've designed some things in the way that I have and I feel like right now because I don't have a design system to just pull components from it does take quite a long time to develop a lot of these screens from scratch so what I'm really looking at doing and Lavinia you really got me into design systems um, I know you're super passionate about them but honestly I love them I know they are such a good way to just make sure that you can be designing really quickly and if you think about any future designers potentially coming into your team as well it ensures that I hate this word or this phrase but it's such a good like single source of truth because you know you just have to go through that one document and bam you have everything you need in there so I would say that as a designer establishing a design system if you don't have one already is super important and really helps maintain an efficient workflow between design and development and I think maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like people tend to think or talk about design and development as being quite separate things. But I think it doesn't always need to be that way. I think generally a lot of designers are trying to or might have, you know, um, a very good understanding of how it works technically. Or, you know, you might know how to do a little bit of HTML, CSS or know how your designs might actually be realised. And I think if both like designers and developers try and develop their knowledge of each other's practice or just understand a bit more about how that works that probably really helps as well when well when both designer and developer are trying to communicate so I think one thing I'm also trying to do is make sure that I know technically whether something can be done or not and then that kind of minimizes any misunderstandings that the development team might have further down the line. Yeah so shout out to our anonymous listener for taking that first step and kind of asking and peeking behind the curtain to understand kind of those pain points that might exist between designers and the development team. And hopefully going forward, we'll be closing the gap. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for listening. And just a reminder that if you have a question for our hotline design hotline, you can always reach out to us at anchor.fm slash hotline design. And then we are on Instagram and Twitter at hotline design pod. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected. Please check the number and try your call again.